Welcome to Full Circle with Circle Capital, where we'll be connecting the dots between the region's huge growth potential and businesses that are also people plus planet friendly. Through these mini-series, we'll bring you the insider's view by featuring the unique perspectives of those who are actively building a bridge between impact investing, sustainability, and profit across Southeast Asia. I'm Karina Basrewan, and today we're coming to you from Jakarta, Indonesia, where we'll be exploring what does capital have to do with it all. And here with me is a very inspirational boss lady who wears many hats, a community leader raising awareness for air quality issues and advocating for clean air. She is also a chairperson to the Paloma Shair Foundation, which aims to create a better ecosystem for impact startups in Indonesia, and an impact investor and advisor to a few startups focusing on women and climate. In addition, she is a hospitality professional and entrepreneur. She is a partner at Potato Head, a regenerative lifestyle brand inspired by Bali for the world, where she laid the groundwork for the group's do-good efforts and zero-waste philosophy. Today here with us, we have Ratna Karta Jumana with us. And Ratna, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Karina. Thanks for your time. Hi, Thanks thank for inviting you, Ratna. Me. Of course. Now, Ratna, as mentioned before, out of um, even more of the li- uh, things I have listed out just then, you have achieved so much and you're continuing to do even more to create impact. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey from helping to build a sustainable lifestyle brand and movement through Potato Head to turning as an angel investor and now you're also behind the Paloma Shire foundation please tell us a little bit more about that and what actually prompted you to go on all these different paths thank you um i mean i didn't start off setting out that uh to do all of these different roles mm-hmm. um kind of i guess follow where my passion at that moment is right yeah um but maybe my parents kind of laid out the right groundwork right um i mean i guess if i were to look back my parents met when they were both working at the asian development bank Mm. in manila uh and then when you know my mom moved to indonesia uh, with my dad and i and um you know after taking care of me for six years then she started working for the world bank right so um i guess that's always been in the background you know the idea that oh work can also help others Mm -hmm. right um, when I was in college, um, I went to a school in Washington, D.C., and there were many of my colleagues who um, focused on government mm-hmm. and worked in NGOs and international organizations. So um, I guess there was a desire in me to um, want to give back somehow. Right. Um, but then at the time, you know, I was in the business school, and so I was thinking, oh, yeah, it'll be great to work in an NGO, but yeah. I got bills to pay. Right? So, <laughs> so that, uh, you know, that was always something that uh, already crossed yeah. my mind. Right. Um, my first internship was in a company that's now called uh, Global Giving. Okay. Um, and these were two, I guess, uh, spouse boss couple <laughs> that uh, used to work at the World Bank. And mm-hmm. Global Giving now is basically a platform to, you know, I guess, crowd crowdfund for development projects. Yeah. And so that was, I guess, I didn't mean it to uh, to be that way, but my mom introduced me uh, to the founders, mm-hmm. and so I interned there. So I guess I was exposed 
right. at a pretty early age. Um, and then I went about working at a business advisory firm. Um, and at that time, um, you know, I was focused on going back to do my MBA. Mm-hmm. But somehow it didn't feel right because I was already, uh, I had an undergrad in business already. Right. And it wasn't something that was really, I was excited about. Yeah. Um, at that time, I was really into F&B and mm-hmm. hospitality. I mean, just casually as yeah. uh, something I enjoyed mm-hmm. doing and looking at and, and experiencing. Um, and then my friend said, oh, Rat, actually... There's a um, the school, uh, you know, Cornell has a grad school. And like, oh, really? I had no idea because I thought mm-hmm. that door has closed. Right. Um, I thought there was something I had. To, if I were to do it, I would have mm-hmm. done it back in undergrad. Yeah. So then I explored. I started talking to as many hospitality people mm-hmm. I know. And um, turns out that there's so many things there. What year was mm-hmm. this? This was mm-hmm. 2007. Okay, yeah. so the hospitality industry was also <clears throat> just sort of um, picking up as well. Things were sort of becoming a trend yeah. here um, and there. I guess so. I, mean, yeah. I was based out of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, at that time. And while I was exploring my hospitality options, I, I guess was just reading. And mm-hmm. there was this article about a resort that gave back to its community right Right. so um i have no idea to be honest i don't know where this resort is anymore but it was called damai resort and then this article mentioned Uh that um you know they have a farm they employed the local uh the locals they you know served healthy food and it was just one of those things where everything was you know mutually symbiotic right right and i really loved that concept so i ended up writing about it in my application and turns out that cornell at the time had some hus- uh, hospitality sustainability classes um as well as classes in the business school which was wow. right next door um to our building mm-hmm. so i ended up taking a couple of classes uh, related to that so after i graduated then i worked for ernst and young and okay. here in new york it was quite um, specialized mm-hmm. so I was focused on hospitality real estate transactions yep. and you know as a business advisory you normally do articles about different trends and yeah. the hospitality sustainability space was just at its very nascent yep. right so since I was the one who's done the studies mm-hmm. and was interested in it I was normally the one writing those articles right. um, so I, I continued on the side kind of keeping an eye out yep. for it but not really diving in and um, after that, I worked for Starwood for mm-hmm. a couple of years. Uh, I was working in the asset management side. And also, you know, it was something like you did on the side. It was like a club or, you know, something. Uh, it's like yeah. uh, an extracurricular at work, but nothing. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in the team that worked on environmental anything, right? Right. Um, when I came back uh, to Indonesia in um, 2011, mm-hmm. um, then I met... My partner, uh, the founder of Potato Head, mm-hmm. uh, Ronald Akili. And so we talked about so many things. At the time, uh, Potato Head only had uh, restaurants. So we had yeah. the restaurant in Jakarta and the beach club in Bali. And the hotel was basically on paper, right? It was a right. drawing. Um, and so uh, basically, I spoke with Ronald saying, okay, um, I've never done this before, but um, I'm willing to explore. Yeah. And, um, you know, if, normally if I, I believe in a vision, I, I'm a, you know, I can do execution. And you're I, passionate about it, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really was inspired by the way he 
looked at mm-hmm. creativity yep. and really wanted to do something different for Indonesia. Um, explored how design, mm-hmm. architecture, music, fashion can all be expressions of right. our culture. Mm-hmm. And culture is something that continues to mm-hmm. grow, right? So first and foremost, Potato Head was, I guess, a cultural experience. Right. Yes, hospitality, F&B was how we made money, but it's really the experience that we yeah. give to our customers, right? So I came back here, that was 2012 but when I joined, and then my eyes opened. Before I left for the U.S., I was in high school, I was 14. Um, I remembered that, oh yeah, we have this trash problem. Mm-hmm. There's mountains of trash yeah. in Indonesia, right? And then I was not empowered the way, you know, 14-year-olds now are like, yeah. okay, I'm going to change the world. Yep. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Make they breed differently right. these days, which is a good thing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm so impressed by them. You know, they would do a startup or make yes. an NGO on At their like own, At like 11 right? years old. <laughs> exactly. So um, back then, I was just like, huh, somebody's got to fix this. Like, the yeah. government to do something or somebody needs to do something, right? But I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel empowered that I could do anything. Right. So then I went off on my merry way to the U.S. And then in the U.S., the waste problem is not something you see, right? Yep. We, you know, in the dorms and in our office right. desk, we're given this blue mm-hmm. box or a blue bin and we're supposed to put our white paper in there but yeah. everybody makes us it all the time and that's the extent of yeah, which I deal with trash. It's not as <laughs> obvious and visible as it is say here. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. there's the recycling yeah. sort of, uh, you know, you throw the trash in, yeah. front, um, in, your, in the front of your driveway, but that's about it. So I didn't understand it. So I came here and yeah. oh my goodness, nothing's been done, right? right. So I was kind of scratching my head trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what you know, like, is there something I can do? Like, mm-hmm. how do I even recycle my trash? I, I never even, trash, I haven't yeah. even thought about that for myself living in the US, right? But right. then I kind of got a little bit obsessed with it. And so I was trying to find a way, oh, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And first I found this foundation called KDM and they mm-hmm. uh, basically help us kids who mm-hmm. are, you know, living in the streets. And yeah. then they created a business for the, the kids who are already 18, um, kind of like a, an interim job. Right. They do recycling management and, you know, they serve the uh, U.S. Embassy, for example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I asked them to manage our office trash, right? First. But That's then, a start. Yeah. yeah. I know the, the most of the trash is in the restaurant. Yeah. And so um, while I was trying to eventually get them to do that, there was Instagram was very new yes and then we had um uh, i remember those days <laughs> <laughs> so good we had uh we had a farmer's market uh-huh. and in that farmer's market i started um following all our vendors right and uh one day i saw that a vendor followed this other market mm-hmm. in which i saw instagram called waste for change so i was like oh my goodness this could be the answer uh-huh. to all my prayers right uh-huh. so i just contacted and i basically got to the founder immediately and then explored um, what we could do together. Because at that time, we had multiple restaurants in Mm -hmm. Jakarta and we also had a a potato garage which had lots of trash. We had a huge party. (laughs) (laughs) We got lots of bottles. It was huge. So uh, I was super excited about Uh um, having somebody you know, partner with us explore. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, I guess, our first foray into doing anything waste right. management, yeah. responsible waste management related. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, we were exploring our own values, mm-hmm. right? Because 
back then, basically all the leadership can fit in one table and yeah. we see each other all the time, uh-huh. you know, just by bantering each day, you kind of know what the values are. Yeah. But once we began to open more and more locations, mm-hmm. especially ones that were far away from each other and we had Singapore, um, Hong Kong, yeah. and Slate as well. We really need to be able to communicate our mm-hmm. values correctly. Right. Um, so we began um, our whole effort on distilling mm-hmm. our values into uh, words and um, training our staff on it. Um, we made lots of mistakes and uh, continued to evolve those um, words into something more easily understandable. Yeah. Um, my role also changed from you know starting up our whole hotel team uh, development Mm -hmm. so pretty much working in the field with the architects and the contractors managed to help that team set up but then I kind of switched to my business advisory hat where (laughs) you're doing the boring stuff like SOPs for legal and HR and things like that right then uh, when I you know the team started getting set Mm -hmm. up I um, also then eventually moved on to a more culture role where by focusing on the culture of the company and then these types of principles started to get distilled Um, and that's when we are able to especially when we made it so succinct you know good times do good that's right right now and growing our whole company having to grow up and our leadership having to grow up and being able to delegate right and not micromanage anymore Mm -hmm. that's when things started rolling because once people got the authority Mm -hmm. to make decisions according to the values that they teach them things got moving faster right right the development team and the um, creative team have all these ideas Mm -hmm. and somehow yeah of course there's going to be friction yeah um but uh, that's what kind of got the ball rolling yeah. to the, the way the creativity is now. Right. Uh, you can see in yeah, Potato Head distilled yeah. through our architecture, our yes. art. Um, it's everywhere. Fashion, you everywhere. can see it through yeah. all But it took angles, a while yeah. to get there. For and sure, yeah. There were so many um, work that we did that also didn't make, you know, the time the of day, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of, you know, we are like little ducks with our legs yeah. just at the bottom, <laughs> you know, like working so hard. But then, you know, yeah. some things worked out, some things didn't. Right. But yeah, it was a huge journey. So it's been pretty much just over a decade since you first started, Mm -hmm. since you moved back and sort of really had that eye-opening moment Mm -hmm. and wanted to create impact. I mean, Mm -hmm. from what I gathered from all the things, all the different things that you do and the diverse hats that you Mm -hmm. wear, um, one of the things that they all have in common is that they all create impact you are passionate you are inspired to always give back to the community and the environment now first of all i'd like to ask you Rena, how do you define how would you define mm-hmm. impact and secondly why has it taken front and center for you becoming somewhat of a cornerstone to everything you do over the past years i feel like you mentioned earlier that you have always been passionate about giving back but sometimes having that sort of values and dreams can shift over time you go through different things in life that maybe change your perspectives onto different things how do you keep those core values the same up till now um to be honest, it's also an evolution. I'm. It, it seems like now looking back, talking mm-hmm. about and listing things that I've done makes it sound that it was all, you know, as clear cut as it yeah. is now talking about it. But to be honest, there was a lot of laws where I had mm-hmm. to think about 
what to do next. Yeah. Um, maybe those foundations I mentioned, you know, my parents, mm-hmm. what I did mm-hmm. when I was an undergrad and things like that, that kind of solidified certain yeah. things to get, give me to a certain path. But um, to be honest, it was a personal experience that kind of cleared things up for me and made yeah. things faster. Right. When, uh, so uh, let's see, I met Ways for Change Around the time, I think must have been 2014, mm-hmm. uh, I was pregnant at that time. And okay. um, when my baby was born, mm-hmm. uh, she actually only made it a few days. So she passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. And um, I had also many uh, miscarriages before that. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, you know, when I found out that she was in pretty critical condition, mm-hmm. I told myself either I'm going to brace myself for maybe lots of rehab, you know, if she makes it or if she doesn't, then I can't just do business as usual. Right. right. I everything I do had to be had to bring some value right. to right. the world somehow yeah. more yeah. than it did today. Yeah. Right. So um, so it was very conscious on my end. Right. And I also had to try different things and some things I right. ended up um, letting go. So f- I just began with what was in front of me. So there was one time mm-hmm. I was working, I knew this foundation, I was actually exploring a mm-hmm. collaboration with them mm-hmm. related to uh, organic waste. Right. Um, and uh, they also had a leadership program for youth, right? right. So I kind of double doubled that help help um, create a leadership program for them. But um, I guess that didn't really take off so mm-hmm. much and it really wasn't my core competency. Right. right? Um, education, I'm not an educator. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, okay, what else is there? Um, right. That, you know, maybe a few months after um, was, uh, passed, I met somebody consciously uh, introduced me to this uh, company called mm-hmm. Duanyam. Mm-hmm. And the reason, uh, she introduced me was because their the problem that they wanted to solve was maternal health, and so for right. me it was something obviously you could relate near and dear, to. Right? Yeah. Like if I had resources, right, and I wasn't even able to save my baby, what would somebody in the middle of Florida yeah, who, had who no already resources. was malnourished themselves? Right. Um, they need so much help, right? So. Uh, Duanyam solution was an economic solution mm-hmm. um, through wicker weaving uh, to help empower the women so they have um, additional income. Then wow. with the additional income, they can uh, make better decisions on what food they mm-hmm. can serve to their mm-hmm. children, help their children continue with their education, yeah. and all of this, right? So um, I guess that was my first foray into impact investing. But when right. I was introduced, I didn't immediately, I wasn't introduced to be an investor. Right. I was introduced just to because there was a cause that right. was something I probably would be interested in, right? Yeah. And then by complete coincidence, um, we were in the middle of trying to create all the amenities for our hotel. Mm-hmm. And so we became the first um, hotel customer. Right. Um, and same around around the same time, I think that's when Ways for Change, yeah. uh, right? Um, we started working together, mm-hmm. and uh, that was we were their first F and B customer. So it was all just kind of talking and experimenting, yeah. exploring, and we were exploring, yeah. and then over time, um, you work so closely right. with these founders mm-hmm. that. I just felt comfortable with them and yeah. they felt comfortable with me mm-hmm. and, and trust. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so when the time came that they needed to fundraise, I was the first person they called, right? right? So it was um I I was a bit 
conscious. I, my husband is a professional investor, so mm-hmm. um, I've always, you know, learned learned a little yeah. bit from the side, mm-hmm. but not not really uh, intentionally. Yeah. And then you know, I heard about oh, there's this thing called impact investing, right? I'm like, oh, maybe I should do that. Right? Yeah. I, I was oh, just talking impact? to. Yeah, I, like, oh, I should do something like that. Sounds. Um, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that could be like a next step, right? So, so mm-hmm. as I was kind of mulling that idea over, yeah. these opportunities presented itself. It just um, made sense. So, yeah. So, yeah. then I, I just kind right. of delved into it, um, not really knowing what I was doing. Yeah. But, but just um, because I wanted to help with me- the cause. Meant to be. And again, it, it, it um, goes back to, to impact, right? Mm-hmm. And um, having had experience from now both ends of the spectrum, how do you view the role of capital in the creation, or rather creating, of what is essentially our, our future or mm-hmm. our kids' future? Do you think it's sort of a uh, chicken and egg situation where it requires capital first mm-hmm. in order to create impact? Or would you say we need to prove impact first in order to gain capital, having yeah. had experience sort of from both ends? Um, yeah, might have to start bootstrapping first yeah. and prove it. Unfortunately, um, people are, I mean, makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody who has money, they work hard for it. And right. so they don't want to just throw it without, right? any, without yeah. any proper mm-hmm. uh, due diligence, mm-hmm. right? And they want to make sure that... Um, ideas are vetted and tested yeah. in the market. But there's so many different kinds of investors mm-hmm. with so many different risk profiles and so many different kinds of non-capital strengths as yeah. well, right? Because it's more than just the money, right? right? There's the connections mm-hmm. and the doors that mm-hmm. the investor can open, the inside, yeah. right? Uh, their experience and know-how know uh, that is whether or not it's strategic to that particular startup, yeah. for example. So there's so many things. And yes, the world still runs on capitalism, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, countries are measured, leaders are measured mm-hmm. on how fast right. the growth of the economy mm-hmm. is. Um, so I guess that's a systemic problem the world has. Right. Um, because then it's just driving more. It's just yeah. more consumerism, more, you know. And and sometimes you get into this cycle where it leads to um, unsustainable growth yep. and damage to the environment, to our health right. and all that. So I haven't quite figured out that part yeah. <laughs> and how to break out of that mold because that's basically, you know, we're kind of, running in circles um, doing the exact same thing so I guess all of these impact startups are trying Mm -hmm. their best to create new solutions to either adapt to the Mm -hmm. damage that has been done or um, create new pathways um, to solve Mm -hmm. problems um, or new ways of life and um, yeah we need more and more people to believe in that right I think we've probably are closer to passing the tipping point, or maybe could, we could consider have yeah, right towards the that direction. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, you couldn't even have that conversation. Yeah, right. But 
um, now people know that oh they actually get benefit right. in focusing on you know preserving mm-hmm. the environment or doing good mm-hmm. right they can get brownie points bonus points right, exactly. in investors um, you can either get investors by yeah. doing that or you can basically look good in the market right um, hence we need more carrot and the stick yeah to push towards that exactly and I think Indonesia is already moving toward that mm-hmm. but we just need to do a better job yeah. at giving Slowly the incentives mm-hmm. and disincentives right so that we can continue um, you know green growth exactly now right now similarly I think more often than not we still hear that for like, startups it's either profit or impact you can't have both most of the time but however someone might actually argue the opposite now in your mm-hmm. opinion is, is is profit important coming from your background with all the experience you've had do you mm-hmm. think it's important without profit do you think others will embark on this journey yeah um well if there's no profit then it won't be like a corporation right it'll yeah. be in a different format it would be a, an ngo yeah right you can do a lot of good and impact on that but mm-hmm. then you're not generating your own revenue to yeah. fuel continuous impact you'll mm-hmm. have to search for more money right. you could say that corporations are the same they will also continue to need money to fuel their growth right yeah. um but they still don't rely completely on just mm-hmm. philanthropy right you have to show um that you can make money and like i said there are different kinds of investors mm-hmm. who are willing have different kinds of appetites yeah and so there are also different kinds of startups that just by their business model mm-hmm. um, will have different requirements for capital and they need to be matched with the right kind right. of investor and matchmaking that's the hardest <laughs> thing yeah we have now there's so many people who are interested in impact um to invest yeah um there's also lots of startups who have amazing ideas but um trying to get the right startup to the right investor Mm -hmm. is still tricky and there are so many impact startups that i think are still very very nascent so um there's lots of money Mm-hmm. on the sidelines ready to invest big yeah but the startups are not yet there yeah and those who have a lot of money to um, at least the ones that we know have money who want to spend they have a different threshold or they don't want to mm-hmm. invest so early yet yeah and so what we need is more people who are willing to fill this gap um, more I guess patient capital mm-hmm. um, that can get in the very beginning to reduce the risk of yeah. of the VCs let's say right, right. Um, and that's what I think in Indonesia especially is much needed uh, yeah. is much needed yeah it's to sort of build that bridge and making the right connections mm-hmm. and um, Radna to wrap things up um, is there a message or what is one thing you would tell someone who is still negative on the people and planet and profit movement as some would still be somewhat skeptical that there is actually no common ground between the three but as you've just explained if it's connected the right way it's indeed possible mm-hmm. so is there one last message that you'd like to share to sort of inspire our listeners 
I don't know what inspired, but <laughs> um, you're already such an inspiration. Oh, oh, you're too kind. Thank you. I'm still learning. I'm still always trying to push myself. Um, well, uh, I mean, I guess making maybe speaking from what I see in mm-hmm. Indonesia, um, I think on a national level, there's already targets that Indonesia has set for itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we want to be carbon neutral, when we want to be Indonesia must, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at a certain level of the economy, those are all great targets. Um, but I feel that the trickiest part is coordinating the the, the execution of that, right? There right. needs to be a lot of previous incentives that needs to be changed mm-hmm. to incentivize the new solutions that we yeah. want to push forward and disincentives to behaviors that are no longer serving us. And those who have power to change this might not necessarily have uh, the right perspective yet or maybe have not been exposed to, you know, these are very, Mm -hmm. very novel ideas in a way. And we have systemic issues that need to be changed. So there's so many people to educate on this front, right? Uh, And so that's the tricky part. It's the race to educate Mm -hmm. everybody who's in the system, especially those who are in positions of authority right um to be able to push to get to the right because yeah that's where the uh, power is too yeah yeah so yeah which brings us to a very interesting right uh situation right now we are in the midst of election right so hopefully hopefully we have leaders who are yeah yeah that's um Who that's definitely our hope properly informed <laughs> yes that is uh, mm-hmm. a key uh thing to sort of consider before we choose our next leader mm-hmm. so um with that being said radna thank you so much for sharing with us and um speaking with you has been really inspiring i think we do all have a bit of homework that we need to do mm-hmm. but it's not impossible as long as uh, we stay passionate and stay true to our core values, um, genuinely wanting to create impact. I believe nothing is impossible and the sky is the limit. So thank you so much for joining us today. And everyone, that was Ratna Karta Jumena sharing her take on where capital meets impacts. This is Full Circle with Circle Capital. I'm Karina Basraywan signing off. Catch you next time.